You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So I, I would tell you that um, a lot of Christians uh, have a belief, and I don't know where it comes from, but you act like you get Jesus and then everything's supposed to be perfect. Yeah. And so, you know, and I was raised in that sort of family. And I, I you know, I've termed it, I think it's a, a thing before me, but you know, it's Christianese. You come to church, you just had a knockdown drag out. There's been times I wanted to, you know, pull over and ask my wife to walk to church. I've never pulled that off, but Pastor Jurgen did. Oh my God. And he, and, uh, Pastor Leanne got out of the car and started walking, and uh, they were on their way to church, and people from the church were passing by. So I learned from my mentors, especially my pastor, I said, yeah, I never want to do that, but I've been close. And I just learned early on, if I'm paying all these business coaches to get me better in business, huh, why do I have such a pride issue around the word counseling? And then what I realized was, man, the, everything, if you have a Series 7 license, if you have a medical license, if you have a real estate license, you all need to do CE credits, which means continuing education. And if you don't do, I have 24 hours of continuing education every year. And if I don't do it, my license is null and void. So, you know, I always have to stay up on it, go to conferences, do all that stuff. The only license ever issued that there are no requirements to do anything other work is a marriage license. But it's amazing because we say when I'm doing core value worksheets and I do all these things, people are like, my marriage is the most important thing. And I go, oh, show me your bank account and your calendar. Oh, it doesn't reflect that. And it's amazing because what are we doing to invest into our marriage? But it's amazing that connotation, the minute I say counseling, they're like, oh, it's broken. I was like, can I just go to be preemptive? We would have it on the schedule four times a year and just go. It'd be amazing how it ended up being four more weeks because we would dig up something before it came up. And I would just say to you that, you know, if you're single, there's so many things that we can get out of today's conversation. Don't just turn your brain off and say, oh, it's a marriage thing. It's it's not. It's It's a development spiritually to be a better human being and listen to the concepts, listen to the things, listen to what you know, Dr. Brian's bringing up so we can have revelation around that so when you do get married, because marriage is gonna squeeze it. I always say, if there's something in you, <laughs> your spouse is gonna find it. And I used to joke around saying- And she you're goes, gonna find it too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> She'd be like, why are you pushing my buttons? I'd be like, well, babe, if you didn't stick them out so far, I wouldn't have to. <laughs> I'm not saying that was wise. I'm just saying that's what my response was. It didn't work out well for me, uh, but I would say it, and then I'd go, why did that just come out of my mouth? And I just realized I say things before I think, and that's just been the nature of our marriage since. That's why, thank you. So, yeah, if you're single, dig those things up before you get married. It'll be a lot easier. That's so good. Dig those things up. So So, today's going to be powerful. Were you done with that section? I'm done, babe. Okay, cool. Did you have something to say? Just to, just to we, really emphasize what, um, what you're saying, Dr. Matt, I feel like it's, it's the most important first question. Because if you're a married person, it's not whether or not we do therapy, it's recognizing that God has already put me in therapy. If you're a married person, you are in therapy. Your spouse is maybe not qualified, but they are a therapist in your life holding up a mirror right. 
to your woundedness, yep. to your uh, self-protection, to your armor. Uh, and that's what Mary, Malachi chapter 2 teaches this crystal clear. I love the message verse, and it says, God, not you, created marriage. And what does God want from your marriage? Children of Christ. And he's not talking about your offspring. He's talking about you. God wants something out of your marriage. He created the marriage as this. And what you were saying a second ago, Dr. Matt, everything that's true in marriage is true outside of marriage. All of the things that refine us and sanctify us, that, that create the conditions that our brain needs to heal and to transform, those are all accessible outside of marriage. Marriage is just a crucible. Marriage is just, it's a, uh, it's a space where the heat gets turned up whether you want it to or not. Outside of marriage, it's a lot easier to say, oh man, this relationship or this situation in my community, it's like, it's pain in some wounds and it hurts and it makes me uncomfortable, I'm gonna back away. That's a lot easier. In marriage, you don't get that luxury. Or if you, if you distance yourself, big alarm systems go off. Your, your spouse is usually somebody who's saying, this isn't, that doesn't work for me, I need you to come back. So the, the conditions that are created in marriage, I think are intended. You know, one, a word I use a lot is sanctification. And to me, it, it's a really important word. Salvation is when I change my mind, my mindset, my belief about who God is. I come, into, I come into a saving knowledge of who God is. Sanctification is when I change my mindset about who I am. Your marriage wants your sanctification. It wants your freedom. And the way it does that is by it creates conditions where you can't run from your own wounds anymore. So, so I mean, the, the, the moral of the story is, if things are messy, if things are hard, nothing's gone wrong. Your marriage is functioning properly. I think that's really helpful. I have sessions where I have like first it's and second. It's helpful and non-helpful, Dr. Brian. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I didn't invent it. I'm just, I'm just putting a description on it. I have couples who will come back like second or third session and be like, oh my gosh, last session was amazing. And they, you guys just, all you did was you told me what was wrong. But by sitting there and organizing it a little with me, they walked out with a new sense of this doesn't mean something catastrophic about us. And that, to know that, to know that this is not hopeless is a game changer. Yeah. I love that. I think for my husband and I, when we first got married, and we, were, we came from two very, very, very different backgrounds, and we met on an airplane to Vegas, and I was not saved, and he was a recovering Christian, right? Would you call it that? It's pretty good. <laughs> so we came into this, this thing, and we were so confused why it was so hard in the first year. And, but then to see our pastors, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, share some of their struggles in the first early years of marriage brought so much comfort to us going, okay, yeah. we are normal. Like what, just what Dr. Brian said, okay, we can get through this. Okay, we can be married and have a great relationship and still have arguments and upsets. Well, I don't want to really normalize you throwing a hairbrush at me at high velocity speeds, putting well, a dent in the wall, but I mean, he, I understand. When he was saying that one of them runs and the other one retreats, you run and I chase after you throwing shoes down the street. It's true. She's, She's throwing shoes. She's just trying shoes. to say, come back. <laughs> Honestly, I had only the for a season, subconsciously, I'd only buy her tennis shoes. And then I really figured out, I think through a session, I don't want to buy her things with points. Because she threw one at me one time and it stuck in the wall. And I said, that's a problem. 
she's lethal. But yeah. then what she was saying about Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, she felt better during a session when she found out Pastor Leanne upset, snapped the fins out of Pastor Jurgen's surfboard because he was going surfing while they were in a fight. So that made her feel better about it, but that doesn't fix us. I mean, it doesn't make you normal, but... Yeah, getting mugged in Central Park is common, but it doesn't make it normal. But it's not normal. <laughs> exactly. Ooh. I'm trying yeah, to think if there's something but, worse that Sarah could do than snap the fins off my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Not for Pastor Jurgen. But just help us, because, uh, you know, I'll be Equip honest. Us. That's, yeah, let's just work right through need. a situation maybe they, they could relate. I felt like when you're stuck in a rut, I could tell my wife's been irritated with me from about Saturday morning. How do you get, uh, so it's been 24-hour cycle, and I thought maybe this morning with church, I put on worship music in the house. No, nothing I did was good enough. Uh, you know, it's fast enough, good enough. Um, and, and so since I've been failing for the last 24, maybe 36 hours, and I, I see a slight edge that everything is triggering, even I touched her on the leg in worship. She goes, don't touch my leg. You know, so I just want to know, how do we get out you of a stuck rut? I, I love that you hear things completely different than what I said. Well. It's okay, though. It felt okay. like if we weren't in church, you would punch me in the face. Why don't we put a timer on this? We'll spend about five minutes working through whatever you just said, and then we're going to give Dr. Brian <laughs> the ability to give these people No, no, some it's a real wisdom. question. Other people, no, like, when is, you're stuck but... in a cycle, how do you get out of it? <laughs> like, I feel like I'm stuck, and no matter what I do, Dr. I'm Dr. Brian, I feel stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a poll, who empathizes with Pastor I need Vicky? communion. Where's communion? Not a, that's not a helpful poll. Um, I like the, the shoe because we no, all have... that was have, like 10 years ago, just so everybody knows. Okay, go ahead. I, I actually Feels wasn't like even going to assume that that was a true story, but it is I a appreciate true story, that vulnerability. But it was a long time Pastor ago Michaela. in my past life. The fact is it's so easy when our armor gets triggered... When we're in fear, and that's always what it is, it's so easy for us to take a posture of focusing on the other person's armor. And what that does is it keeps us in a self-protective state. And so like Dr. Matt was talking about, or maybe Michaela was talking about Dr. Matt, was saying Dr. Matt's maybe a withdrawer. If, if his stress, emotional stress, gets over threshold, his brain copes by pulling away. His brain said, okay, this, this territory isn't safe. Unfortunately, that sends the worst possible message to the partner. The message that it sends to the partner is the one thing I need. I need to know that you're there for me. That message gets amplified. And so what do they do? They cope in their threat response system and they pursue and they go get another shoe with a sharper heel on it, <laughs> which that might be good motivation. Man, fill her, fill her closet with nice shoes and then you're like, okay, I'm not going anywhere. There's no withdrawal. Withdrawal is not an option. But it's so important to know, you know, you know something that's not helpful to tell a person who's in fear? Don't worry. That's not a helpful thing to tell a person who's in fear. Have you ever been really upset about somebody? And then somebody turned to you and said, you know what? You know what? Calm down. And then you oh, thought no. to yourself, I'm cured. Not calm I'm down. I'm all better. Thank you so much for that. That doesn't work. Because, repeat after me, what we resist persists. What we resist persists. What that means is, if your brain is sending you an emotional alarm system, it perceives threat. And that could be that your spouse is in a bad mood. That could be that your bank account's getting low. That could be that fill in the blank. What, we, what the brain wants to do is it wants to focus on the threat 
because that's how it thinks it's gonna keep itself safe. And so when you tell the brain, ignore that alarm system, what the brain, the message the brain gets is this is more dangerous than I thought. It's so dangerous, there's nothing we can do about it. And the signal amplifies. What we resist emotionally gets louder over time. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying immediately? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. So what we wanna do is what exactly what Paul teaches us in Philippians 4, we want to orient, I mean, we want to wake up to the fact that we're in a state of fear, and we want to redirect. Philippians 4, Paul was the original neuroscientist. In Philippians 4, he says, be anxious for nothing. And I love the fact that he says it that way. He doesn't say, don't ever feel anxiety, because that wouldn't be helpful. He says, don't ever identify with your anxiety. Be anxious. Don't ever be anxiety. Wow. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, that's step one, prayer, meaning what do you need? With thanksgiving, number two, gratitude is the antidote to fear. Make your needs known to God, and he will... I'm I'm taking too long to complete the verse, so I forgot how it goes. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. But in all, in all things, make your um, request, known. request known to God. Finish it for me. Finish, finish it for me. And the peace of God that transcends understanding. Thank you, whoever in front row. There is a calming effect that happens on your brain when we redirect our attention away from the threat. So if the threat is my bank account, what am I prone to do in that situation? I'm prone to focus on the bank account or dissociate and I'm gonna numb on Instagram for two hours only to close Instagram in two hours and the alarm signal from my bank account is just waiting at the door. Versus I realize, okay, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety because I don't know how this story ends. But God knows how this story ends. So I turn my attention away from the threat. I turn my attention to God and I say, God, I am experiencing fear because I don't know how you're gonna provide for me, but I know that you have provided for me in the past. You have never let me down. You have never let me starve. You have never let me fail. You are with me, you are for me, you are before me. You are going ahead of me. And as I'm doing that, my brain is actually switching modes. Yeah, when you, the reason you don't tell an anxious person calm down is because you just told them whatever they're scared of is really, really dangerous. What you tell them is you teach them how to be brave. This is what we do in, in clinical work. If you bring somebody in, they have an anxiety about something, you do not try and convince them not to be scared of it. That is not gonna help them. What you do is you break that anxiety down into its smallest parts, and then you begin in safe conditions to expose yourself to it. Why? Because we're actually building courage. We are not diminishing fear. As we build courage, we change brain states. We go from a state of fear, which is what we call threat and withdrawal, to a state of courage, which is approach and challenge. It's a different state. And so when we are with our spouse, I I knew I was gonna bring it full circle at some point. So when we're with our spouse and we're trying to help them because they're defensive or they feel shame or or they're stuck in a narrative that says everything I'm doing is wrong to you. They're stuck in that narrative and I wanna help them but I'm really frustrated because I feel really misunderstood and I feel really hurt and I feel alone. The first thing I need to do is realize, okay, The biggest barrier to us reconnecting is not your armor, it's my fear. And I need to redirect my attention 
God, I love this person. This person is for me. This person loves me. And I know I can trust you in this moment. Please help me see them beyond their armor. Please help me see them beyond their fear. And as we direct that attention, redirect our attention, we actually access something that we weren't able to access a minute ago. We access compassion. I'm able to see you differently. What, what was the question that you guys asked? No, 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 that's perfect. This I just want to know. This is so applicable to the last hour of our lives. I mean, it's perfect. It's the Holy Spirit. It's felt like three days to me, but an hour for her. But my question is, don't you have like a one eight six six or one eight hundred? Because if I say, if you're in a fight, press one, and you just say that, that would help me. Or like if you're feeling anxious, press two. I think what he said is you have to take responsibility for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of my favorite song. Is it cute? Let's hear it. Babe, I do. I play this every day to myself. I'm aiming you every time you listen to it. Thank you. I play that every day, babe. It's not helping. It's great. That was such good. That was such good teaching. I love that. But what do we do when we're stuck in that those moments where it's like everything that Dr. Brian said was so amazing, and you want to do it when he was sitting on stage. You want to do exactly what Dr. Brian said, but then your default is not that. Does it just take time? Do you like how does it how does it become more of the default to go that way rather than frustration, fear, fighting, not communicating? A big one, escapism. Now, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that's probably most of my pastoral care things or people stuck in escapism. You go to a restaurant, you start filming couples at dinner, they're both on their phones, they're both scrolling. Or if they're in a fight, one person goes to another room and they just get on the internet, which can lead to other things. It's like one of our biggest things I deal with at men's prayer. They're just stuck in escapism. How do you snap that? When we're trying to get out of a state of fear, right? Those stuck patterns, numbing, addiction, um, those are all states of fear. When we're trying to get out of those patterns, the first thing we have to know about our own makeup, our own nervous system, is that we were never designed to operate in isolation. So if my partner is not a safe, what we call co-regulator, we've heard of of self-regulation, right? We know it's self-regulation, the ability to, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting upset, I'm getting worked up, I'm getting scared, and I'm going to self-regulate, I'm going to go calm myself down so I can, co-regulation comes before self-regulation. Co-regulation starts in utero. So when a child is born, they do not exist as a separate entity in their own mind. That doesn't happen until somewhere, you, know, you ever heard of the terrible twos? That is the first time in that child's brain that it's starting to realize I'm separate from mom. And so what happens is, as that, if that baby has a really safe, stable attachment with mom, a really, mom is there, mom is reliable, mom comforts him, and dads, you are not superfluous, but moms are a unique attachment in the baby's life. First, first what we call a primary attachment. That when I don't have that fully formed sense of belonging, when I go out into the world, I don't have it to bring with me. So when you see people who operate really independently, what you're seeing is somebody who has a very well-formed sense of belonging that they carry with them. There's a brilliant theorist, one of my favorite voices in therapy, and she says, you know, if the whole, her name is Sue Johnson, she says, if the whole world is in chaos, 
but my marriage feels safe, I walk out in safety. If the whole world is safe, but my marriage is in chaos, I walk out in chaos. And so what we need to know is, and and this is probably true for people in this room right now, if my marriage today doesn't feel like a safe place, first, hope is not lost. But no, your job, what God wants from you, is not to just go it alone and be the strong person for the marriage. And what you need is a safe place. We have a safe attachment available to us at all times. But do we access him? Do we know how, in those moments of overwhelm, do we know how to access the safety of God? There's this really incredible um, moment in Jacob's life, uh, Exodus 35, where he goes back, he returns to Bethel, which means the place, house of God. And it's called that because like 24 chapters before, he was there and that's where Jacob wrestled with God and, and God revealed that God was with Jacob. That is the revelation of Bethel, that God is with me. He says, I never knew that God, I didn't even realize that God was in this place. And so Jacob goes off lives an epic life. He's coming back to Bethel. It's a season of stress. And he says, come, let us go back to Bethel and I'll erect a monument to God, meaning I will remember just like, just like that tithe offering that was phenomenal, where he says, remember what God has done. Because revelation without remembrance never translates into safety. We have to carry it with us. And so in a moment that I'm over overextended, I'm over threshold, I'm stressed out, I'm worried, I'm in this defended self-protective state and I wanna connect to my spouse, but they're not able to turn to me. I have to go back to Bethel. I have to go back to a moment in my story where I know God showed up. If you're sitting here today and you don't have a Bethel in your story yet, that is why God has you in this house today. When you raise your hand, you are changing from a state of withdrawal to a state of approach. When you raise your hand for prayer, that is not weakness, that is courage. When you feel people surround you and they put their hands on you, that is a moment where God is giving you an opportunity to experience an intake that he is with you. And what Jacob says in that passage in 35, he says that who knew that God was in this place and this place and every place I've been since Bethel, for the last however many years, that God has always been with me. That's the revelation of Bethel. And that's the thing we need to access. That if your partner, if your spouse, if your roommate, if your mom, if your best friend is not online for you, how do we go back to Bethel? How do we reconnect with the one source of co-regulation, the one source of belonging that is never offline? Amazing. Yeah. Pastor Mike, you taking notes on that for me? Thank you. I can't find my phone. Just, I'll get them later. Now what? Don't you have lots of questions about I do. what you just I'm said? actually, I'm my trying, mind's I'm just, I'm down this. rabbit trails at this point. I'm trying not to rabbit trail. Yeah, yeah I'm rabbit trailing. I'm thinking I could take, uh, I'll take 200, Alex, on how to get it better today. One thing that's, one thing that's easy to do. When, um, when I get on stage, it's easy for me to go straight into the darkness because we spend so much of our lives just trying to fairy dust everything. We're just trying to be like, everything's good. It's all, it's whitewashed and it's polished. And so when I get on stage, my temptation is to always like, let's talk about trauma, guys. And that is really valuable. I know that. We love it. I know that. It's also helpful to talk about the things that really help us thrive, not just like help us survive and cope in moments of overwhelm, 
Um, but like tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And I'm like you, Dr. Matt, I have a real solid like love-hate relationship with Valentine's. The idea of somebody telling me when it's time to romance my wife, automatically I'm like, I'm not gonna do it, I don't wanna do it. Here's how I look at it. If but you I try. Guys, you don't wanna hear how I look at it? I'm gonna do a guy's night. If you do a good job romancing all throughout the year, and then you do an extra good job on Valentine's Day, it's like the cherry on top. You almost had me right there. I think that's so good. My goal, my wife and I, um, we used to have a thing. My goal is for your tank to be so full, you'd rather just veg out on Valentine's Day. And uh, she would go with me on that. And you know, there's a moment where God really challenged me on that. um, Because my wife is one of these really, really humble personalities who said, you know, sweetie, I don't, I really don't need anything. I know that you love me. I don't need anything. And there was this challenge in my heart. It's like, you know what? God has called me to consider it a calling in my life to elevate and honor and cherish this person. That's one of the most uh, meaningful privileges I have in my life. So if there's a a holiday where we honor our partners, even if it feels contrived and stupid, I'm going to find a way to... Dr. Brian just said just, Valentine's Day is stupid, ladies. Oh my gosh. I, just, I don't know if we agree on everything in the world now. There Dr. was Brian. a, there, <laughs> I'll just say Pastor Leanne had a great word on Valentine's Day last weekend in, um, yes. in the campus I, I was sitting at that weekend. But um, there was actually, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe the first year I was in practice. And I told you, I told you about the attitude that we used to have about Valentine's Day. Um, I was teaching at another really big church. They had this ongoing couples night and I was teaching at this couples night and um, it was February. So I thought it'd be appropriate. Just like name the fact that Valentine's Day is coming up. So I said, Hey guys, heads up. This is a marriage class. Don't forget Valentine's Day is next week. You got to remember your bride. And I walked off the stage and Sarah said, honey, Valentine's Day was last Tuesday. (laughs) I thought, I wonder how many wives I lost right there. They didn't hear a word I said after that. Yeah. But it's one of those things where we, we get to decide. We get to decide what it means for us. How, what is a simple way? If your wife says, you know, I don't need anything, that might be humility. It also might be a wound. It, almost, it also might be really hard for your wife to say, you know, I deserve to feel cherished by you. I expect, and it's okay for me to ask you to express love and affection and to elevate me in your life and honor me. Um, and you just showing up with a card, with a small gift, with something that says, I thought about you because you matter to me is a way of working against that wound. You know, it, yeah. it's a subtle thing. Yeah. She's still married to you, so she's obviously she's, forgiven you. We made you. it. She's obviously forgiven you. That's right. This June at the retreat, we're gonna celebrate 17 years. Oh. We're all about it. Incredible. That was awesome. Do you have questions? You're very quiet. I've, Are I'm, you just taking notes? I am. In your head. Just figuring out how to send shots over the bow without getting punched. Well, I want to talk about communication if you don't have any questions. What do you want to talk about? Communication. Oh. Mm -hmm. That's probably what I was thinking we should talk about. Okay, good job. (laughs) Because I want to know if you you are trying to go to the safe place that you're desiring in your marriage, but you're not getting that, 
you're not getting very far with it and it feels like it's been a long time or it's just never been that way or your marriage was never set up that way to feel like it, maybe it's just a blind spot. Like some people don't even know that this exists and what marriage should be and it should be a safe place for both partners. But what do you do in this, In like how long can you make it without having that? Will it always come to a head at some point? And then how you communicate if you are saying, I need this, but then it's not happening. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people here it might be their first time hearing from you or even light bulbs are going off going, oh my gosh, I never knew I could have that in my marriage or should have that. When, uh, when you're in a place where you realize that there's something in my marriage relationship that feels unsustainable for me, there's something I deeply, deeply want, change, healing, wholeness, and you reach for your spouse um, and they're not responsive to that, they're not ready to do that. Sometimes we have to Sometimes we have to ask boundary, boundary questions, right? Like, do they get elevated? Do they get heated? Do they raise their voice? Do they, be, do they engage in behaviors that, I, that are not healthy for me and I have to boundary myself? I say, okay, you know, if you're gonna raise your voice, I really wanna talk to you. I want you to know that I'm for you. I want you to know that I love you. But if you're gonna raise your voice, if it's gonna get to this place, I have to step away. Um, sometimes we have to ask the question of in what ways am I violating your boundaries? Am I being passive aggressive? Am I being direct and assertive? Am I being humble and vulnerable? Am I actually admitting to you, okay, I can tell that I'm angry right now and I wanna connect with you? And sometimes we need to rope in support. So in, in really extreme cases, and my heart, is, my hope obviously is that this is, nobody's, this is nobody's case, but if in really extreme cases, if your spouse refuses to be an emotionally safe place for you, roping in a third party, do not do this alone. A pastor or a trained counselor roping in a third party to help you ask the question, how do I boundary myself and create safe, healthy distance so that I, I can get healthy? Because one of the things we see a lot of is a kind of participation in our own abuse. I am convinced that no matter how unhealthy, no matter how toxic um, a spouse might be, that the marriage is not failing you. Your mar- if, we, if we go back to Malachi, your marriage wants something for you. It's your integration. It wants to grow you up into fully-fledged emotional adult. It wants your wholeness. If I find myself in a marriage where I'm verbally, emotionally, or... Um, God forbid, like physically abused. My marriage is reflecting back to me. I don't expect to be cherished. How did I get here? This does not happen overnight. You do not wake up. You do not like date, engage, and marry an abusive person and then wake up two years in and they're different. I walked into this. Why didn't my alarm systems go off? Why didn't, there's a part of me that, why didn't I boundary myself sooner than this? And he said, okay, even there, even in that really dark place that God never wants you to experience abuse ever, please hear that. Even there, your marriage wants to take you into deeper wholeness. And that might be, that might be through boundaries. Your integration, when you say, no, I'm not gonna participate in this anymore. I am going to, honor who I am as a child of God. I'm going to expect to be cherished. I'm going to expect to be loved. Even those boundaries are an integrative experience. It's a holding. It's a wanting experience internally, even if it's not a wanting experience interpersonally. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking some of the early on stuff was, you know, I was a mama's boy, very close to my mom, and uh, she's very close to her mom. It's amazing how much they both wanted to get into our marriage 
give us that parental advice. Yeah. Or my mom would come down and be like, don't treat my boy that way. You know, it's like, what do you mean you can't cook? Matthew, told you to marry a girl who could cook. I'm like, yeah, mom, you're not helping my marriage. You know, it's like, I had to put up very, it's like I had to cut the cord. And, uh, you know, I remember my mom and, and we navigated some of this early. I mean, she did not take it well, but she respected it over time. That was a major healing point. And then she had to do the same thing. We had to put up some very strong boundaries, even for her parents. And it's amazing. I see so many young men that uh, have this idea of what marriage should be like. So the date they're dating, the minute they have their first little, you know, ruffle, they peace out. And then it, it's amazing how many moms, because I, I can relate to it, are speaking into their life. And it's almost like this false thing that they don't know themselves. And uh, I would love for you to speak into that, because I remember my first you know, couple years, I had to figure out how to navigate my mom issues Mom, if you're watching, they weren't really issues. They were just things I was processing in a very healthy way, and I love you. Um, and, and so it's just, she's an amazing mom, but she just couldn't respect or couldn't believe she would treat me this way or do something or not have this, all this done. And I remember it was a healing point of contention in our marriage, and I had to really protect and honor and, and value that. Um, I just remember that was dicey. How would you give some advice through that if we have too many other people speaking into our lives that aren't healthy, have the fruit, or we haven't set up boundaries. Where do you start? Because I would say I, I see a lot of it at men's prayer. And by the way, Emerge is coming up. So men, it's like, Come on. It's like three days is like 25 sessions. Right. Just come and yeah. let's do a deep dive and get around and get emerged. That's why we call it, you know, and this is Lionheart. So sign up for Emerge Wives. It's a lot of counseling taken care of in one weekend, so yes. get healed up. But yeah, it's if real. you could speak into that, and I know there's our clock, so I want to, however you want to land it after you get through this. Would That's be countdown, right? It's countdown. We and haven't because been then talking I'm going to pray for all of us. I'm going to okay. bring my ministry team up, and dear Lord, we got to start praying for couples. I'll Leaving and cleaving is a... Uh... That's, that's a sacred thing that has to happen in any marriage. And, and it really, leaving and cleaving is a byproduct of the primary function of marriage, in my opinion, which is uh, primary, secure connection with another person. God wants us to have an earthly experience of real safety, real security, because God does not even exist in a vacuum. Before God created the universe... It said God created, existed in relationship with himself. He existed in three persons. We are not meant to be alone. So when our, and it doesn't have to be mom, right? It can be anyway. Our friends, when they are speaking into our life, we know that they're a safe support system for our marriage when they always take you back to empathy. Man, what, what was she feeling when she raised her voice? Or what do you think she was going through when um, she did that or said that or, or does this frustrating thing? Or the fact that he keeps forgetting to take the trash out. Do you think he's overwhelmed? Do you think he's just feeling beat down? Always take you back to empathy and they always take you back to personal responsibility. All right, what does it look like for you to show up differently in that situation? You know, one of the, the most powerful things for most people, uh, for most of the people in our life and the people that we want is really just honest, empathic listening. We usually don't need advice. We usually don't need somebody to tell us what to do. What we usually need is a brief and authentic experience of belonging. Somebody to say, man, I get it, that's so hard. When we feel that, we usually 
start to adapt. We usually start to say, yeah, but I was a real jerk earlier that day too. I wasn't being very nice to her. We usually start to take responsibility. We start to view our, our partner with more empathy. And so knowing that I don't care if it's mom, sister, best friend, I don't care who it is, we start to pair and trim relationships in our life that don't speak life and security into our marriage. And so if you made, if you made a, a list of all the, the closest voices in your life and then you scored them on a scale of one to 10 um, for negativity and positivity, right? 10 is the most positive person in the world. One is the most negative person in the world. I mean, I would go everybody below like five. I would limit their voice severely in your life. And I'm not saying never talk to mom, but don't talk to her mom like twice a day. And the people who consistently bring positivity, responsibility, and empathy into your heart, man, lean into those voices because they will transform. They shift us. Remember, they shift us from withdrawal to approach, from fear to courage. Those voices, just, just saying, oh man, what do you think they were feeling in that moment? It shifts my posture to, oh, I'm, I'm empowered here. I'm actually an agent of influence in my wife's heart or in my husband's heart. I can actually transform our marriage. I don't need them to change. Just me being different, the system has to change. Yeah. You know, I think it's so important. That's such great wisdom. Thank you. You know, one thing is, uh, even if you're going through your yearly Bible together right now and just discussing, yeah. hey, what was your revelation? What, you know, what were your thoughts? I think is a, a, a great place. Finding common ground. What is your common ground in your marriage? How can you find an anchor together? What is your anchor? A lot of people, they have hobbies, but then all of a sudden they get kids and now that's their hobby. But it's causing division instead of coming back to that one thing, that anchor. For us, we have a place that we go so we can reconnect. It's like our getaway. It's like every time we, we're literally an hour out of town, I feel everything leave and we communicate and get back on the same And my page. husband says, wow, you're so happy here. It's a true statement. It's less stressful. That's our anchor. But I do want to say, you taught me something, and we can end on this, is you always said, when I feel that my wife got triggered or whatever, stop talking and just go hug her. That's worked, I would say, 95% of the time. You know. So the I need a hug cookie is actually very relevant. That's a very relevant. Mm-hmm. That could be a bridge, and we could walk over it today. I'll give you one. That was real ass. I tried that this hug, morning. Like today, it was like ninety-nine percent. Give me a hug or a cookie. Didn't work. I'll give you both. Both. Perfect. Like usually at ninety-nine, it was ninety-nine percent until this morning. Now it's ninety-five, but I still believe in it. How does that work? Well, Dr. Brian, actually, he wanted a hug, but he said you're very cold. So I'm like. That's like asking for a hug. So I literally go. I, you know what? She did call it out, I go, and I immediately repented and said, "I shouldn't." It didn't mean I said, to come wait out a like that. Did you mean that, or did you mean you want a hug? And then he. And said, then we hug. Well, wow. I actually meant I want a hug. Wow. Like, That's see, so good. we're getting somewhere, Doctor Brown. So good. <laughs> I need an easy button. I, do you want a hug? You need the Forrest Gump version. Some, some I've. <laughs> I'm starting, I'm trying to retrain my brain. My, my, uh, I've got a, we've got a nine and a 10 year old at home. They're little ladies and they're big feelers. They, they feel big feelings. So much so that it's like, I can't, I can't even relate to you right now. <laughs> and my nine year old got flooded. They were working on a, on a conjoint craft to give grandma for her birthday coming up. And they were working on, they had some artistic vision differences. 
And my nine-year-old got flooded and she left and I went into the room and she's like just, just full throttle, just crying. She's really upset. And, and it's one of those moments where the automatic words out of my mouth were, what's wrong, honey? And I, it's like, that is the thing I'm trying to retrain my brain to do. I want to stop asking what's wrong. Okay. And I want to start asking, what do you need, sweetheart? What's going on? What are you feeling? What do you need? And if we can bring that approach, you know, I will tell you when, in moments when I really hurt or frustrate Sarah, if I go to her and I ask her, why are you so upset? The message I am sending her brain is to defend and validate her pain. I have, to, I have to validate the fact that I'm allowed to be in pain right now because you want to take that validity away from me. The moments when I can access genuine curiosity and be like, honey, what's going on? You don't seem like yourself. What are you feeling right now? Did I, are you feeling frustrated? Did if you I can down? come with genuine curiosity, her brain gets the signal, he wants to understand what I'm feeling. And we start to disarm. I love that where you just gave a second ago, Dr. Matt, where you said we have this place that we go back to. Man, I think that's so powerful. That could be a physical place. That could be a moment in your relationship. If you say, man, do you remember how much fun we used to have when we were dating and we were engaged and we lived in that little apartment on First Street or whatever? Going back to Bethel and remembering places where we felt safe and connected can access that person's still there. They may be armored up and they may have been armored up for a few years now, but they're still behind that armor and they still desperately want to feel seen and loved by you. Going back to Bethel in our relationship is powerful too. Let's all stand our feet. I want you to pray for all of us married couples, single people, all of us. How good was that? Come on. We're going to do a part two at the 11 o'clock. We're not going to rehash it. So if you feel like you need more of it, but I just want to encourage you that we got to fight for our relationships, not fight, but fight for them, believe for them, equip yourselves, get in the word together. But I just want to take a chance, Dr. Brian, if you'd all pray for us, impartation. And tell them what we're going to do Wednesday too. Oh, Wednesday night. He will be back on Wednesday night, and it's him actually preaching and leading and empowering and praying for every one of us. Today was just to rip the Band-Aid on some things to let us know that they might get highlighted. You might get triggered. We're going to have our ministry team down here. Come get prayer. Be a part of working things together. Come down, receive prayer. Let the Holy Spirit move in your marriage. But Wednesday night is an encounter night. Dr. Brian will be here. He will have the whole stage. He'll have the whole 35 minutes to just unleash what we're scratching today. So don't miss Wednesday night. It's going to be radical. All right. Pray for us. That's such good. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room in relationship, and that includes every person here. God, I think you all our hearts want the same thing because you designed us to want it. We want connection and belong. We want to know that I'm safe and we want to know that I'm loved. And Lord, I pray over every heart. And I want to say where there is fear, Lord, help us see fear for what it is. Reveal to us areas in our life, areas in our um, friendships, in our family relationships, in our marriages. Reveal to us where we are walking in fear, Lord, that is vulnerable and you are trustworthy. You can be trusted with our heart even when nobody else in our life feels like they can be. God, reveal to us where there is fear and give us the courage to be seen. Lord, we ask for the ability to turn to you. If there is, if there is isolation in this room, any heart who feels alone, Lord, I pray that they would not leave this room. Yeah. 
without somebody seeing them, without receiving prayer, without somebody putting their arm around them, Lord, without them having an experience through the hands of the people in this room of your love and your heart and your ability to see them. And Jesus, I pray for all the marriages in this room. I thank you that they are all working. I thank you that even if they are in a tough spot, if they feel stuck, that your marriage, what you designed it to be, is still working in their hearts. You have not given up. You still believe for restoration. You still believe for reconciliation. You see the pathway, Lord. I ask for the courage and the vulnerability to see the path. Lord, let no one walk out of this room feeling alone. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give it up. Listen, you know, I I just want to let you know that if you never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen, that's what it's all about. It's why we do church. It's why we bring in guests. That's why we're talking about important things. But if you don't have Jesus, it's going to be a rough, a rough way. You may have come here. You may have like, what's he talking about now? Listen, God sent his only son to die on a cross for you and me. You can't earn your way to heaven. There is a heaven. There is a hell. Hell wasn't meant for you and I. It wasn't meant for you and I. But God's a God of free will. He's a gentleman. But he sent his son to die for our sins. We're all going to fall short. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to wake up thinking we got to figure it out today and we'll trip one more time. But with Jesus in your heart, your salvation, your eternity is secure. Now, when we figure out he's our Lord, that's where we get some power and we can overcome while we're here. But I want to let you know that the greatest gift that many of us in the room ever said yes to is a free gift. It was just allowing ourselves to receive it, to stop believing the lies of the devil, to tell that devil to shut up because there is an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Sometimes he does it through relationships, sometimes addiction, whatever it may be. But God didn't just send his son for salvation. It's so that we can live our best life now. And I can promise you when my ministry team and ministry team, if you want to step forward right now, and I can promise you this. We're not afraid of anything you got. We're not going to judge you. Matter of fact, every once in a while in men's prayer, I got to have a solid poker face. Because inside I'm going, whoa. But I know God's bigger than that. And I watch it and I walk that person through. And now they're in our church in massive victory. It doesn't matter what your story was, but it does matter where your future's going. And we want to be a part of that. That's good discipleship. So you never let shame keep you off the altar. You never let shame keep your marriage in shambles. You never let pride hold you back because there is a devil that doesn't want you to get breakthrough, doesn't want you to get victory. And let me tell you something. He doesn't want you to give your life to Jesus. If you know you need to have that relationship with Jesus, you're like, I need Jesus in my heart. Listen, I have a team down here. I have a response lounge over there. And I got this beautiful lady right here and a lady up here. They have Bibles and a book called Following Jesus. They're going to lead you through a prayer. They're going to pray for you. You're going to receive Jesus Christ in your heart. It's going to change your life. I could do an altar call, but I want to let you know something. I want you to know that it's worth the fight. 
It's worth you to go get your salvation done with. Get your name written in the book of life. Eternity is on the line. We want to fight for you. We want to believe with you. Just come to one of anybody on my team or the response lounge. Get a Bible. Get a book called Following Jesus. We do baptisms once a month. But if your prayer, if your marriage needs prayer, come down as well. We will always want to see this altar full. You know why we have an altar? So your life can get altered. If you don't like where you're at, get out of your seat and change it. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to build the greatest tribe that loves one another, protects one another, looks out for one another. We're going to do life together. We're going to get our friends lit up for Jesus. You want to impact the world? Let's be the light. If you need the light, we're here every Sunday, every Wednesday, Tuesday morning men's prayer, Thursday morning ladies' prayer. Listen, come get as much light as you need. You know when your candle gets low? Come get a new candle. Sometimes your candle's going to get blown out. You know how we have this? So you can get it relit. We want to see some of the greatest marriages in any church we've ever seen. We want, doesn't, you judge a fruit by its, or a tree by its fruit. We want to help you grow great fruit. I know the soils here is good. I know you, your seed is perfect. We just got to figure out how to water it, love it, nurture it, prune it. I just feel like you're worth fighting for. Just turn your palms to heaven. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you build courage to face some of the stuff people haven't been wanting to face. God, I thank you for the couples coming down for prayer today. May they encounter you. God, those that you're knocking on their heart right now to receive eternal life. God, I thank you, Lord, that they'll get the courage to ask you in their heart. God, I thank you right now that today lives are forever changed. They walk out of here in freedom and in new life. God, we thank you that heaven is their home. We rededicate. We resaturate. We ask for fresh oil. We ask for new wine. We ask for walking on here fresh in our marriage, in our life, in our relationships, in our friendships. God, and I thank you that we celebrate today, not Super Bowl, we celebrate you, your son, and we light up every Super Bowl party we go to with joy in our spirit. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.